Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by Todd Cushing, who's the president of 1623 Farnham in Omaha, US. Good morning, Todd, for you. Good morning. That's nice it. to meet you. And you, late afternoon for me. Always tricky to know whether to say morning or afternoon when we're on different time zones, but we'll get there. Um, thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. I'm really keen to find out a bit more about your organisation and, and also your career in the data centre industry. But from all my listeners, I've, I've listeners from all over the world. So you just want to give everyone a quick introduction on kind of who you are and um, 1623 as well, just to give a bit of a snapshot of, of what we're talking about. Sure. Uh, Todd Cushing, I'm in right in the middle from a geography standpoint, middle of the U.S. If you were to put crosshairs or an X in the middle, that's where Omaha, Nebraska is. Uh, I am a data center person by career. I've been in data centers in one form or another since I first started to be employed and have worked through operations mostly, have sold commercial real estate and got back into operations through 1623 Farnham. Um, wanting to yearning for that getting my hands dirty sort of so to speak um and uh 1623 farnham is a what was formerly known as a carrier hotel we refer to it as an interconnection facility uh, we have an ix we're a nine-story building with um a, a lower level and a sub basement so you can appreciate we're remodeling an active live running facility and uh, it was not a dedicated use facility but now it is so we had to buy out leases and have tenants leave and uh, it was for security and just for ease of construction. And uh, the facility was built as a bank in 1973. So it had very good um, security aspects and structural aspects. We had to remove three vaults from the facility that were in the way. One of them was quite big. And nothing, so that was nothing. a learning thing I'd never done before. Was there anything in them? <laughs> nothing. We did one of them had been for almost 10 years and, uh, Somebody from the real estate company that was managing the building at the time. Uh, it was like a moment where we thought we're going to have Geraldo Guerrero or somebody there <laughs> with us to watch. But it it um, it turned out to be family belongings from somebody from South America, and it was mostly just family photo, photos, slides, nothing nothing magical, nothing. We were hoping for suitcases of cash. <laughs> Didn't happen. I guess we wouldn't. Um, we probably wouldn't be talking now had there been a suitcase right. of cash. <laughs> so it left us with the opportunity to to have this conversation. But it's an, I checked out the, the the website and it's an amazing building. It's definitely worth everyone having a look, getting online and having a look. It's it's quite an amazing building. Um, what I, where I always like to start is to go back to the beginning of your career, just to get an idea of how you first entered the industry. Um, so how did you first end up in in the data center world? Sure. There was a company by the name of First Data Corporation that is also in Basildon. Uh, I spent some time there as part of that later in my career as it progressed. Uh, we were started as First Data Resources, became First Data Corporation, and then later now is Fiserv, um, owned by. But at any rate, we had uh, became global multinational. We started in a little data center in Omaha that did credit card transaction processing. So it had to be a tier four data center. And um, we adapted and built out that data center. And we had call centers around the country and eventually around the world that needed generators and UPSs. And they started off to be just very simple. And then they become N plus one and you know more complex as time went on. 
but uh, got an opportunity to work with a lot of different architects and builders and different teams in different countries uh, as we became global. And uh, a lot of different ways to, to do a data center. You know, really at the end of the day, it's UPSs and generators, but the rules around how you're going to do that, depending upon the country, um, they vary. And you've, you've just got to be respectful and patient and kind of work through that process. That's it. And you, and you spent quite a lot of time with CBRE as well, I understand. Correct. Is that, uh, it's funny, CBRE, when I was, first data had been bought out and it just was time for a change, you know, I, I had, uh, was ready for something different. And the brokers were, were talking to me about being the guy in the middle. They didn't have anybody in, in Omaha, Nebraska is not uh, large. It's a million people. It's not the, like in the Los Angeles or a Dallas or something like that. And so they wanted somebody in the middle that could kind of cover those, the flyover spots. And so I did that for about 10 years and got to do some international brokerage and worked with Andrew Jay in the UK yeah, yeah. from CBRE. He's a good, good guy. Um, but did, um, through that process, I learned a different aspect of data centers, you know, so what I knew from operations was really different than how businesses looked at it or how the acquisition on the backside of a recycled facility would be. So it was very interesting to do that as well. Different, a different perspective. And now as an, as a, operator again i know what the business of the engineer is looking at i know what the business of the architect is looking at so i, I can kind of uh, i get a better feeling for what the percentages maybe should be and how <laughs> things should work and how they've got they have to zero out you know every week every month so i appreciate their the business challenges they have you know to make a living yeah exactly it's always it's always a positive to be able to see it from both sides isn't it yeah um what I also like to talk about is, you know, when you've been in the industry quite a while, it's just to get an idea of how it's changed over your career, really. I think it's it's quite easy these days to just assume that data centres have always been these, you know, massive buildings in, well, yours is in the city centre or, or in the middle of nowhere. But how's the industry changed and evolved since you first started in it? I think the internal connectivity within a facility it used to be i was a mainframe shop so it was bus and tag cables and you drag these monster cables around and then it really became uh, multi-mode or or single mode fiber between devices that was a big change uh, the amount of space the storage took but really the heat load has changed so much so you used to have a, a 10 gig device for hitachi or an amdahl or somebody like that back in the day that uh, was heavy and it took a lot of space but it's it's um, now you can get so much more into us into an area, and now you're managing the heat load of the space. And the other thing that's that really hasn't changed is since I started my career, I'm 57 now. I was 16 years old when I started in my first data center. It was a big Star Trekky door that you walk in on a raised floor. Um, they were telling me the mainframe was dead back then, and it's still around. So still we have clients that still from time to time want that you know type of processing. Yeah, and from a you know, kind of exposure perspective as well. I think the industry, I've been in the industry for about, I don't know, 15, 16 years. And, and I think the industry now is finally getting the exposure that it, that it needs. Do you, is it, do you agree with that? Is it, it was obviously a bit hidden as a sector until the last 12 months, really. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know what you did and uh, yeah. what was a data center, why do you need it? And then uh, there was the generators on the outside of the building the rest of the building didn't understand or why you had to have you know certain things for security in a building because that was a aspect of a building so it really made people uh, curious or suspicious of the data center what was going on there that's it and do you think that helps the industry as a whole that now that more people are appreciative of of what you guys are doing 
I, I agree. And I think there are subsectors that like any business, you have niches or you have people that are kind of masters of all. And so telecommunications is a big part of what we do, interconnection. Uh, so we're a data center. We have people that put their things in our facility, but they want to be there because they want to peer data. They want to share data. We have, you know, 50 phone carriers, you know, large distance, you know, multinational carriers. Um, People want to be there for that, but then you have the bigger co-location that are just there for uh, hyperscale, uh, really like wholesale, a wholesale carrier. Uh, we have a lot of interface with hyperscale. There's a lot of hyperscale data center in Omaha. And um, so we are the connection point for them and for the on-ramps for their, their clouds. But there are there's specific data centers that do certain things now, where it used to be kind of a, you're either an enterprise or you're a colo, you know, kind of how it went. And that's different now. Yeah, and, as, and I guess you've seen your customers ch like change and evolve over the last sort of 20, 30 years as well. I would agree. I think that what people are looking for in a data center, if they're if they're looking for a specific thing, you can find it. It really is an, an ability to get that. If you're looking for um, super, super dense, you know, there are people who can either provide it or there are people that that's what they specialize in. Or if you're looking for super low cost, maybe less security, or there's people out there doing that as well. And you can, I find with cloud that people are, there's a hybrid approach. So people will do some of their processing in one place or maybe keep some for themselves. It just depends on, you know, people aren't afraid, afraid to break up the stack of what their applications are. You know, they're really, uh, it's you can find it out there. Yeah. It's not a mystery. No, yeah, I totally agree. Along the career side of it, obviously you've you know you've developed quite a you know a highly successful career in the industry. Is there any particular advice you give to people that are looking to kind of follow a similar career path to yourself? I think for me, starting in operations and then getting into commercial real estate was a great path that a lot of brokers knew real estate, but they really didn't understand why does a storage guy care? Why does a facility planner want this? And so when we did site selection, a lot of times I could anticipate what what kind of bad things they didn't want to be by or what type of what a flight path means or distances, those kind of things. I think that was a good path if you want to get into commercial real estate to do your research on IT. If you were going to get into engineering architecture and you were going to be in that specific data center niche to do that, get exposure to your client and what they're doing. It really you're going to build the relationships are important in anything we do for a living. Uh, I think it's, it makes it important that you know why it's important to your client. That would be my assessment. Yeah. Great advice. I've interviewed a couple of development um, sort of managers on this podcast and they've said similar things as well. Actually, I think the, the understanding of the technicality behind the, the project and the facility is really important when you're negotiating with clients and searching for land or facilities for them to, to develop their data centers. I agree. And on the um, 1623 Farnham, obviously, do you want to just give a quick sort of brief on, I know you touched on it earlier, but exactly what it is, you know, the size of it, the scale of it, and then we can sort of dig a bit deeper. Sure. So it was a, it's a nine-story building with a penthouse on top. There's a lower level and then a sub-basement. So we chose to, uh, there was 885 kilowatts of 208 power to the building when we took on the project and there was a data center running. The carriers sort of chose the building. So they've been in there since the mid eighties and there was uh, more and more all the time. 
so we as we organize the the fiber routes into the building, you know, the, really the the point of entries and where where things are going to be for pull boxes, we had to work with those tenants. Now the building itself has four two megawatt transformers underground that are submersible grade, and we kept the 885 for life safety only. So we've got a little bit little less than nine megawatts uh, to the building. We expect that we'll have um, probably five and a half megawatts of critical load. Uh, that's UPS, you know, that's load to the facility. And um, the building has, um, it's, a, it's a two to make one or a three to make two uh, build is the way it is built. So, uh, it's built. So in a being a multi-story building, it might not, uh, it's, 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 so we, we've taken out the ladies room. We went to unisex. The risers are now, you know, through where the ladies' room was, we had to put the mops things out because they were stacked. That became another riser. So we've separated things physically, but it's uh, being a multi-story building, it's a different animal than if you just had a big flat box that was a greenfield. And because you're up and running, you had to get up this, you had to bring in your new power and your new risers and you had to commission it. And then you have to migrate over. And we did the same thing on cooling. It's just, It's a whole... A lot of change control, a lot of coordination. Um, change agent and owner's rep is different than the architectural engineering firm. So we have separation. So we have really a second set of eyes. Anytime we have an MOP or an SOP, multiple people are reading it, signing off on it, that it's right. You have to talk to your clients ahead of time to make sure they're okay with it. They're, those firms, you know, some of them are large multinational telecom carriers. They have a rigid way in which they do things. So you're trying to maintain a schedule, not feel like you're pushing them, but you really need to get move on, you know, with what you're doing. So it's it's a it's a process. It's it's really uh, I like it personally. I like a remodel more than a greenfield. Yeah, and I think I guess it must be um, a lot of the facilities now are going down the multi-story route, aren't they? Especially in the the sort of city centres. So I guess a lot of what you're learning in your facility can be taken in new design and new concepts of, of the multi-story data center. Yeah, I think I think you wouldn't choose a multi-story unless you were in Asia where, you know, there's land is super tough or or maybe in you know, major metropolitan cities where you really have to. Here it was because the fiber was there. I think there were 16 or 17,000 fiber coming in the building when we started. There's over 20 now, but you can't move that very easy. So you kind of have to take what you have. You bought it for the for the interconnectivity. That's why we bought the business in the building. And um, we, I think, are turning it into a really a, it would stand up against about just about anything. Uh, secretly, kind of behind the scenes, I'll tell you and the folks that will be listening to this, the design of this facility is much like what we built for First Data. So when we look at the way that this operates, it's what I was kind of used to for the powerhouse that we built there in Omaha. And um, it makes it so that, we can have just about anybody work on it. We've got 13.8 coming in, but we stayed 480 in the building. So just about anybody can work on it around the clock and not, you know, it's pretty pretty off the shelf stuff, vertive UPS, cat generators, those kind of things. You know, it's really, really standard stuff. Yeah, I, I listened to a podcast you were on with Data Center Hawk and um, I noticed you described it as kind of like an ecosystem. Do you want to sort of explain what you mean by that? Yeah, the ecosystem for us is when we started off as a as a carrier hotel, we knew that we needed to have more peering and more interaction. So we did purchase, there was an IAX and there's a lot of IAXs in, from country to country in Europe. There aren't so many in the U.S. So we were able to purchase the IAX and we've been able to add um, content companies to that IAX. 
so they could share data. So that's part of that ecosystem that a large carrier would be looking to put some data on there and share that as a tertiary network. So you might have an A or a B network, but now every day that you're, you can use that peering, you're going to save on your telecom cost and be able to get the content. So Netflix and other people are in there, Akamai and, and other hyperscales. So, so that ecosystem would mean that they also would want to bring in their clients or content people would want to be there so they can share data. It's much more cost effective. You can get uh, scale that you can't find. So 100 gig is very reach, very achievable in the building. And you can also get um, a pricing that is kind of on net pricing. So you're you're able to go direct carrier to carrier. If you think of us as a switching platform, kind of like where trains would go to a roundhouse back in the day or a spider with legs, that's really the ecosystem we're trying to build is people want to come to us mostly for connectivity, mostly for that ecosystem that we're building is the attraction point. It isn't that we don't we have a we have a, a good base for cages and cabinets and space and power and cooling, but most people are there to be able to interface with other people. So if you're a hyperscale, you wouldn't necessarily put your on-ramp partners or some of your partners in your data center. You would have them be where your network is. Their network comes to us first. So if they come to our facility, a lot of those on-ramps are in our facility to get access to the hyperscale. That's what we're trying to, that's really where we think our growth will come from. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess over the last 12 months with with the uh, COVID situation that we've all been through and more of the move to the edge, et cetera, I'm assuming you've seen an increase in demand for exactly that. We have, and we've seen uh, phone companies and really uh, carriers or hyperscale go from 10 or multiple 10 gig connections to maybe 100 gigs to be able to do that. Again, video conferencing content is really going pretty, pretty wild. We also are working from home and have been since early March and have a construction project with that. We've got an orange team and a black team and we're cleaning a lot every day and we're making sure we have screening going on. And so to make sure that everybody's all right, we've had about 90 to 94 people on site every day for construction. And so making sure our clients that have to come on site are comfortable and know how they're going to get in the building. And that, you know, everybody, everybody, they follow the masking and the protocols, just like our trades do is really important to keep the project going. So at this point, we're commissioning. So all of that hard work is is behind us. So we're in the process actually of cutting over. Commissioning is really complete. So we're in the process of cutting over to the new systems and the clients are excited to see it happen. But they've been in there through the thick of all that construction and trying to keep it clean, uh, let alone safe, has been uh, a long process. Yeah, I think everyone's found it fairly challenging doing the construction over the last 12 months in Europe as well. And it's quite interesting to hear you you talk about it, really. How's the challenge been with regards to sourcing the people for it? I think, uh, have you had a, is there a shortage of talent in, in your region or have you taken advantage of the re- reduced workload in other sectors to get people in to do the data center? So so I have to speak in square feet because I don't convert over very well, <laughs> but we've got, we've got about 7 million square feet of a social a networking company in, in the, in Omaha and they're, they're the, largest search engine in the in the world has three data centers within seven miles of us and they have over a thousand megawatts at one of those facilities it's the largest in north america and so they had shut down part of their projects because of safety and covid so usually they decimate the market for (laughs) trades and we have gotten a huge boost and influx of access to talent that we wouldn't otherwise probably have and so our being that they're our clients 
their general contractor in some of the cases is who we chose, not by accident. So they've been able to kind of re-steer people towards our facility to really give us a boost. It's worked. It's, it's, um, I hate to say we took advantage of it, but we were able to get talent and take advantage of it in a way we didn't know we would be able to. Good timing, I think they call it. Yeah, every once in a while we're lucky. That's it, exactly. You know, you're doing it at the right time. And is there any is there any um, sort of plans for future growth, or is it once you've completed this element of it, is sort of looking to sure. settle at we're, that? We are. We have. Uh, we're building two halves. So we put in our our first half is um, a series of generators and UPS. We'll build in the second half once we get to eighty percent. We're watching lead times on on procurement. So we put in. Uh, we we build out the facility from a rough end standpoint. We're ready at a moment's notice to to complete that other half. We think about 90 days. Uh, we also are looking and have uh, control of neighboring property so we can expand physically outside. We have looked in other regions. We like what's called a tier two market or tier three market. And we have looked at several. Uh, we have a great investment partner, family owner uh, with, with us that... Uh, has been in this space, so they appreciate how expensive these things are, what it costs to do it, and they're patient. So they are very keen to continue to look at other projects, and we certainly have, uh, as this has been going on. Yeah, I guess, like we talked about earlier, as the demand for edge and reduced latency, et cetera, increases, your your type of offering is is going to come more demand or in more demand. Yes, we're definitely looking for that interconnection ecosystem capable, maybe not build out, but we could get there. But there's more than enough demand and growth in our building and business, and they like what they're seeing. So they're willing to back us to go on to the right other fits. Yeah. And how would you go about identifying a facility or, or a region for that type of project? So for this one, it was easy because I was born and raised in Omaha <laughs> first at, and I'd done real estate. So I, I saw that this was going to be capable. And, I, yeah. and I'd seen what happened with InfoMart in Dallas and Wilshire and some of the, you know, 360 and, and, and some of the other ones in, you know, 1102 Grand in Kansas City had been had been big facilities in their day. But there were some things that could be done maybe different. And so that's what I've tried to do is identify how we could start fresh on this and do it maybe different than others had. And then uh, as we look at other facilities, we're kind of looking for that un- uh, it's probably not mature yet. It hasn't been really, you aren't going to unremodel what somebody else has done where they've maybe chopped up the UPS too much or there's no infrastructure, no, no physical plant, things like that. You can't take advantage of it. So we, we were looking for, you know, the geography matters, the amount of connectivity that has, a facility has. It used to be where three or four carriers or facility was okay for a colo. Now you're looking for a dozen or more at a facility or the capability for that. So a lot of it is our customers, our carriers tell us where they'd like us to be. And so then we go look at a facility because we really do have customers that like to work with us. And it's, it's, it's neat to do business that way. So a lot of times our carriers will tell us, hey, could you go? We, we hear this facility is coming up. Why don't you go look at it? So some of that goes on as well. Yeah, and I guess it's uh, like you say, it's supply and demand, isn't it? And also trying to identify those areas that will have the demand in the future. I think in most regions that I'm working with people at the moment, it is those tier two, tier three regions, whether that's in Europe, Asia or the US, it's it's those up and coming new regions that have seen a massive increase in demand and now require an increase in connectivity. I agree completely. I think it's going to be 
certain continents or certain countries that maybe are developing are going to be a hot spot. I think that you're going to find that there are areas that were flyover or small cities in any country that if you look at the geography of what it takes to connect a large city to a large city, if they're in the middle, it, they could be the edge. So they are the new edge. And that's kind of what we like to think we are, is we are that edge that if you're going to kind of between the two, plop your network, that, that new hub probably belongs between them, not inside of those big cities. Yeah, if you find the right interaction or the right intersection of those yeah. networks. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. It would be interesting to see how other countries develop, whether they look to develop in a similar way or you do. Because in, in Europe at the moment, you still, obviously it's a lot, Europe as a whole is similar to the US, I guess. But because yeah. it's country specific, you tend to have multiple facilities in multiple cities in a country. So separate connectivity as opposed to that, the link that, that kind of you provide. Spot on, 100%. Fully agree. Yeah. Um, I wanted to touch on a few other things as well, just before we kind of close up, but just to talk about some of the challenges in the industry that, that we face at the moment. Um, obviously, the growth of the data center industry has expedited quite significantly over the last at least 12 months, but probably going back 24 months. And one of the key challenges that I deal with is the talent shortages, and we touched on it earlier. But do you think the industry can do any more to attract more people into the sector? I think that it's when we started off today, people, there's that mystery of what's a data center. It's still there. So you have yeah. to go out to the universities and you have to start at the, you know, at the, when, they, when they're young and people are trying to become, pick their path. Maybe they're in a generalist uh, path for, for trying to pick which major they're going to go for. And if you can start young and get people exposure, uh, I, don't, I don't think, I think that they think that a data center, they have to be a programmer or they have to be, you know, different than maybe they are and there's enough different places within engineering or other capacity planning or other things you do within a facility, data security that you could probably find something you like and it's going to be exciting it's 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 ever-changing and it's evolving as we've talked about today i think that that is um that's for us is something so i i'm on a board with one of the local universities some of our other folks at our facility do the same thing we kind of follow those things and try to help the universities know what should they be doing to give people exposure to it. Because even when we talk to the schools, they don't know a lot about what a data center is, frankly. No, definitely. It's the same. I totally agree. And that's, that's one of my key points as well. I think educating the younger generation is really, really important. And it's trying to work out a way of doing that with the that creates the correct impact and gets enough people interested. Um, I think you raise a good point about all the different career paths, which is, one of the reasons why I started this podcast to demonstrate all the different opportunities in the industry. And it's, it's maybe the sector as a whole, just really getting that message out a bit better. Yeah. I think people are intimidated by the data center and it's not that intimidating. If they, if they had a friend or somebody that they knew and maybe we can be friends to people as data center operators and, and pull people in and give them some exposure. It doesn't hurt. We, we work a lot with the Omaha chamber here and, and we have uh, events that we are we help them plan that are annual called Data Center Day is one of them. And we bring people in that are they're, they're realtors, they're bro brokers, they're engineers, they're builders. And we bring them to Omaha. The College World Series is a baseball event that typically pre-COVID would have happened around June time frame in Omaha. And it's a great time to bring people in and do 
some really no pressure data center tours and get people exposure to what's going on. And um, partnering with your chamber uh, could help a lot too for people that are in cities to kind of break down that mystery of what we, what we have going on. Yeah, do you see it when you do things like that? Do you see quite a positive impact as a result? Yes, quite 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 a bit. I I think that they have thought about us when they've had other people come to the market looking for things, and they'd say, "Hey, you sound like you might be able to talk to Todd," and he'd be able to, you know, kind of nano nano, as they say, kind of help each other figure out what what we need to talk about, and it, it's worked out well to help them. And there's, it's not like we're going to get business out of it then, maybe down the road, who knows? But it's really it's uh, helping people. Uh, do commerce you know yeah no definitely and, and you touched on it earlier about the kind of the impact the the larger social media giants have on the industry as well by you know they, they do soak up a lot of the talent so i think it's important that the other organizations are probably more vocal than they are to try and attract people to them as well so they don't all end up at one of those companies yeah, I think so. And I, and I think we, you have the local regional companies that will people, there's people, we do tend to cross pollinate. We migrate from one spot to another spot. And there are some people that will stay at a career just like anything else you would do. It could be in the auto industry or anywhere, but I know people have been at the same data center job for 35 years. I know people that have moved every five to six years or less because they felt like they wanted to. I, when we ran facilities in Shanghai, we had to have a buddy with them because people would quit their job before they came because they'd move on to the next one already. So it just depends on where your, you know, what, what age group of folks, what's your, what's your, what's your presence in that city? Are you known, you know, are you, are you feeling like your people feel secure working for you? Are you going to, you know, get sold out tomorrow because that happens in this industry quite a bit. And so what, so what's their longevity? But I, I do find that people, um, if they get exposed to what's going on with your, your business and who you are, that's as important as knowing what a data center is. They know yeah, who yeah, definitely. And I, I don't think a lot of people appreciate the longevity of the industry either, which is why it's good to talk to people that have been in the sector for quite a while. I, I genuinely think a lot of people think it's maybe only five years old. Yeah, they're right. I think, you know, for me, I think I know guys that are in their sixties where maybe in a bit, you know, some of these, you look at the, the day, the mainframe and some of the things that were going on, um, it was a Voyager was launched in 1963 or four. So that thing's going across, you know, massive amounts of speed. I think I read the other day it was 111,000 miles an hour. Think of the technology they used when they built that thing. Where are those guys at now? So that those were, those were computer guys, you know, that put that stuff up in the air that made it fly. That's pretty neat. It is. It's amazing. And I think a lot with a lot of the, you know, like Tesla and the electric cars and all that, all the technology that's being utilized now with, you know, Tesla satellites, et cetera, that is really having an impact on the younger generation. And which is why I'm so keen that the data center sector takes advantage of their interest in tech to make sure that we are attracting some of the better ones into the industry. I, I agree. I think the car, cars specifically have become kind of an appliance for people. So the passion that's there, I do have a Triumph TR6, by the way. So I'm a huge Triumph fan. But it's, uh, I think that people look at the new cars as an appliance, and I tend to, too. I have a, a Chevy Volt that's electric that I drive back and forth to work. It works great for that. But if I really want to treat on a nice day, the Triumph does the trick. That's it. A good, good bit of British engineering. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Excellent. Um, before I let you go, and I've really enjoyed our chat. There's there's one question I ask everybody on my podcast just before we close up, just to get your your advice, really. But if there's one piece of advice you'd give to someone looking to work in the data center industry, what would it be? 
don't be afraid to ask questions of others in the industry. You know, when you're in there, look look at multiple data centers. If you were to go to a hyperscale or if you were to look at an enterprise data center, but don't be afraid to knock on the door and say, hey, I'm looking at this industry. I'm thinking about coming in here. Though there's probably a guard at the desk, there's probably somebody in there that would love to show you around and talk to you about it. So if you don't have a way to do it, there's also multiple organizations. You know, AFCOM is on the on the facility side. Your ITEL crew, your seven by twenty four on the facility side. There are organizations you could reach out to. But I would say don't be afraid to reach out. There's people are. It's uh, it's almost like people with a classic car. Like I said earlier, people want to talk to you about their car. People would love to talk to you about their data center because typically they're so geeky. They don't. It's harder for them to talk to anybody anyway. So if you ask about it, they probably won't. <laughs> Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. That. And I always say it on these as well, that I think everyone I speak to says the same thing, you know, please reach out to me if I can help you. And that's one thing I think the industry does really well. We just need to encourage more people to reach out. I would offer that same thing. Anybody that has a question, if I can help out, I'm here to help out. Appreciate that. And we can, uh, you know, we'll put your company website and everything on when we when we launch this. Because I also think it's, as I say, the facility is an amazing facility. And it's definitely worth everyone having a look at your, your website to get an idea of exactly what you're doing and what you're providing. Yep, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, www.1623farnamfarnam.com. Check it out. That's it. Take a look. Okay, well, I really appreciate your time today, Todd. I think that's hopefully um, brought some benefit to the listeners and you know, we've raised some good points about the industry and also get a bit of a snapshot about yourself and, and what you're doing at the moment at um, 1623. Perfect. Thank you for the opportunity, Andy. I really appreciate your time. Absolute Thank pleasure. You. Enjoy your triumph. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, Todd. Take care.